The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are gathered here before you by a marvelous act of your grace. You gave us breath this morning. We didn't deserve it, but your mercies that are new every morning came upon us and covered over our sin, mercifully gave us life, and gathered us here today to hear your word, to commune with you. What a blessing. Thank you. You are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. We sit here now under Your Word and ask You, Spirit of God, to teach us this morning. It is appointed that I will speak in English, but Lord, if You do not speak to the hearts here, it's a waste of time. We all know that. And we don't want to pretend otherwise. We don't want to present it as if it is otherwise. You must speak. You must teach. And God, we, we ask You, we plead with You, please do that. Would You open up Your Word to us and do more gracious work in us than just giving us life again today. Give us spiritual life. Give us fullness of life today. And may, maybe even some here who don't know You, You'd give life to them eternal. You have a work to do here this morning. Would You please powerfully do it would you would you now even move through this room and remove out of the way all barriers if there is sin that we need to confess if if there's distraction that needs to be removed or corrected would you please do that now lord gain our attention for our good open up these scriptures and speak to us for our good convict us and comfort us and change us, correct us, spur us on, encourage us, whatever it is that we in particular need this morning. There are many of us here, you know each one by name. You know the intimate details of each one of our hearts. So minister to each one individually, I ask you, Lord. God, have your way with us. Conform us to the image of the Son. That God the Father would be honored in each person and in us as a people. We want to honor Him. Help us to want to honor Him all the more. We want to be conformed to Christ's image. We want to know Him. And yet we so tragically sometimes don't. And so, so help us with that. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. We submit to you in hope, knowing that you are good. We look to you for grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And I pray, make the scriptures clear. Guide this time, we pray. Build your church. For the glory of Christ and for the good of your people here, I pray. Amen. As we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, we now come to another very famous passage. 
Over the years, many songs and many greeting cards and many posters and a really high percentage of wedding ceremonies have had some portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in them or on them. This is the love chapter of the Bible. Very famous. Surely it rivals even Psalm 23, John 3.16 for familiarity. This, this, is, this is the chapter of the Bible that talks about love, so we think. Which is interesting to note because... If you read through the Bible, you would realize there are many, many, many love chapters in the Bible. The Bible deals with love from cover to cover. The the God of the Bible Himself is love, and He speaks to us in this word, love, which is very unique. If you look across the world at, at the religions of the world, this is a unique point being struck here. This God talks to us about love. He is Himself love. He communicates to us love. He then intends for us to be love and to communicate to others love. It's all over it, all over this book. And it comes out in this passage that we're going to look at today. A very famous passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But in order to understand this passage, we need to know something about the context because this really isn't about marriage and even less about romance. This comes to us from God, from the pen of Paul, in, in the flow of the discussion that he's been working on now for a few chapters, talking to us about the body and how the body functions, particularly at worship. A few chapters back, he started to talk about that in, in looking at communion. And while he didn't use the word love very much there, he, he talked about how we are to consider one another's needs, to think about each other as we worship. And then in chapter 12, he moved into discussing spiritual gifts. Talked about how we are all given gifts by, if you're a Christian, every single one of us has been given a gift by God, the Holy Spirit. All of us alike, baptized into one body, differently gifted. And as we ended chapter 12, we saw a series of rhetorical questions there, all seeming to make one point. There is a variety of gifting. Everybody's got different gifts. He's working on gifts. And and then suddenly takes a little detour into the love chapter. It seems out of step. The seeming detour. Why why does he go off to talk then about love before coming back to gifts in chapter 14? Well, it's to give a context to the gifts. To give us a context to think about how we utilize all these different gifts that we have. And really a context for all of life. We, we live in a world in which there is great temptation to make much of self. To take all of the, the spiritual gifts or the natural gifts or, or our, our strengths, our resources, all those things, to, to harness them and, and turn them, use them to the advancement of self. Sometimes in a really ugly way. But I think probably most commonly in a very subtle selfness. And I think this is where, I hope, I pray, that this is where God kind of begins to grab us this morning, to hook us a little bit. Perhaps some need to hear some, some confrontation about the, the ugliness of selfness, but probably most of us find that we just get up in the morning and walk through the day and then lie down at night thinking about number one. And maybe those people most closely connected to number one. Never realizing that really we're living a life that revolves right around here. 
a subtle selfness. But there is a more excellent way to live. With our gifts, with our talents, our abilities, our resources, and he's going to call us to that beginning today and the following several weeks as we look at chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. He's going to point us towards something and call us to it. And I pray that he, he hooks us and draws us along. I'm going to begin reading in verse 31 of chapter 12. When we were in chapter 12 preaching through, we stopped at verse 30. I'm going to start in 31 and read all the way through 14, verse 1. You'll see how they're, they're connected verses there. They form a bracket to this section. I'm going to read the whole section, but I'm going to spend several weeks in this chapter. We'll really only be looking at the first couple of verses today. It's beginning in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Word of the Lord. I read all of that to give us the context the last verse of 12 and the first verse of 14 kind of create a bracket. They both talk about pursuing the higher gifts and they both mention love in slightly different ways. Verse 31 begins with a contrast of 12:31, a contrast of but. Because of all that he's been saying before. He has all these different gifts. He was just asking rhetorically, do all do this, do all do that? No, of course, and everything's all different. He's talking about how all alike are needed up in verse 21 in the previous chapter, for instance points out how we can't say, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. But all are needed. And even the, the most modest parts, the ones that are, that are, that are kind of hidden, they are, they are worthy of even a greater honor. I said that up in verse 21 in a few different places. But, contrast, 
earnestly desire the higher gifts. When you hear that but, it seems out of sync. It's, it's a different, it's a change of the attitude. But the, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1 shows that there is indeed a command here. He's saying this, bracketing it around this chapter. He's commanding us to pursue the higher gifts, even though I just said that all the gifts are necessary. What does he mean? The key is in understanding the purpose of God in giving gifts to the church. Saw this in chapter 12, verse 7. It'll come up again in chapter 14. The reason behind the gifts, he gives gifts to the church so as to build up the church. To advance the common good in the, in the church, in the body. And some gifts do that more widely, more effectively, more influentially than, than some others do. Even if you, if you just press the body analogy, in fact, you find that the head can't say to the feet, we have no need of you. We need our feet. We need our feet. I don't want to do without mine. But I need my head more. Right? There's, there's a difference there. If you look at giftings in the church and you work through Ephesians 4, there are some giftings that are given to equip them, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. Oh, using all the rest of the gifts. And there are some that kind of come first, that have a greater influence, a, a wider spread of influence. And so he says, pursue those higher gifts. And we realize when we get to chapter 14, he really has two gifts in mind. He's talking about prophecy and tongues. He's comparing the two of them. We'll get to that eventually. Pursue the higher gifts. Yes, God sovereignly gives gifts. But there is a desire that needs to be in us, a, a reaching out for, because some of the gifts require us to, to work, to think, to, to explore, to develop. Think about the gift of teaching, for instance. You likely don't have the gift of teaching until you realize you have it until you take a step out and try. And maybe it goes poorly and you have to work on it and study a little bit so you have something to teach and improve. And you won't do any of that unless you want to. You desire it. You see it as a good thing. So there's an affirmation of, of a, we'll call it a holy ambition here, to desire higher gifts However, in the right context of the more excellent way. There is a more excellent way. More excellent than, than living for gifts and for their expression, which is the temptation of all gifted people. To live as if I want to express and, and show off what I have. There is a more excellent way. A more excellent path, road, that's what way means here. Way of life. A way of walking. The way of love. And verses 1 to 3 then begin to explain that way by using three lengthy conditional clauses, conditional sentences. And all of them, all three of these, are intentional hyperbole. They are intentional grand exaggeration. To make a point. He begins to unpack them first with, with the point about tongues. And we haven't yet discussed what tongues is. We touched on a little bit last week in the book of Acts. But his point here when he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he is not saying literally that there are tongues of angels. He's not saying there aren't. 
but he's not saying there are. He's exaggerating to make a big point. He doesn't literally mean there are tongues of angels any more than he literally means, verse 2, it is possible for me to be omniscient and for me to actually believe and move a mountain. It's, it's an exaggeration to make a point. What's his point? Well, if I talk to everybody on earth and I can even talk to angels, you would look at me and you would say, wow, that is some remarkable gift. That is a blessed guy. But if I have not love, what happens? I am a noisy, annoying, bothersome, aggravating, useless clatter of sound. I know of one Bible teacher that when explaining this passage actually asked a friend to come up and stand next to him while he was talking and take a pot, a kitchen pot, and a wooden spoon and bang, 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 such that right now, as, as you're going through, you, you kind of get it. You see, oh, that would be annoying. But he kept going and 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 kept going. Bang, 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 bang. Until people were beginning to think, I get it already. I get it already. When is this going to be over? Bang, 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 bang. I get it already. Starting to get a little frustrated. People are starting to wonder when this is going to be over and start to daydream a little bit. What a waste of my time. I mean, I came here to listen to a sermon. Bang, 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 bang. I can't even hear him talking. Bang, 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 bang. What is the, what in the world? Then they finally got it. When they felt the annoyance, the nuisance, the frustration. Because what he's not saying here is, I became a slightly irritating moment of interruption. At the end of verse 2, interesting grammar point here, at the end of verse 2 it says, I am nothing. The grammar is different in verse 1, emphasizing something. I become, it's emphasizing, I become the settled state of nuisance. Gong and symbol. Not in a moment, a settled state. Such that it just goes on and on and on and on. That's what I am in the body. Even though I am remarkably gifted, I can talk to, I can talk to the angels even. And people wish I would go away already. There is something there that is really intended to be a powerful point. And then verse 2. What if I could know everything? I mean, I was, I could prophesy. I knew all things. I believed with great faith. You see, there's more spiritual gifts. There's tongues in verse 1. And then here we have prophecy and knowledge and faith. Spiritual gifts that he's mentioned in the previous chapter. I can move mountains and have not love. Nothing. Well, what about, what about if I, verse 3, if I offered myself as such a massive sacrifice, the implication being maybe, maybe a sacrifice as a martyr, 
What if I, I, I made some great offer such that everybody would look around and, would, and would, would remember me, would know what I had done, but did that without love? Again, nothing, he says. Interestingly, not necessarily gain nothing in the eyes of the church. People might acclaim me. Gain nothing before God. Worthless. Put it mathematically. I might have tremendous gifts. I might be, be really talented. I might have great resources and, and be really strong and influential and able to, to do much. But if, if I think of that as not just 10, but 10 million, I, I, I pursued the higher gifts and I, I've acquired the higher gifts, 10 million times zero is still zero. It must be multiplied by love or it is just a nuisance that profits me and us nothing and before God gains me no status at all. Without love, nothing. And I, I know, this, as I said, this is one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. You have all read this before. You have all heard it. You have all thought about it. Probably been in a Bible study on it. But brothers and sisters, this is meant to, to strike us, to awaken us to something. We so often are concerned with our abilities and our gifts and our talents and our strengths. And he says times zero equals zero. Nothing. How much of what we are is a waste, I wonder. God calls us to live a life of love. And not... Oppose Him, the God of love. That's essentially my main point for this morning, which I'm going to break into half and make two observations from. The first one is about what God calls us to live, how He calls us to be. The life of love is the life God calls us to live. That's the first point. The life of love is the life God calls us to live. Verse 31, he says to desire the greater gifts. And, and as I said, we, we must affirm that there is, a, there is a rightness to that. There is a goodness in as, aspiring to seeking to be more. That is good and right and appropriate. He commands it, in fact. But it must be in the right context Pursuing it in a context of love, this greater way. We must not think of love as a characteristic that, that is one of the many things we are, but it is a way, it is a, a road that we walk. And on that road we do all kinds of other things. I think of it like, like oxygen. Oxygen is not one of the contributors to life. We need it, and then we do a whole bunch of other things. Without it, we don't do anything. There's, there's a way, there is a, a path, a road that we must walk of love, and on that we do all kinds of other things. 
But love must mark us as Christians and as a church. It must mark our, our interaction as a body. It has to mark our marriages. It has to mark how we parent, how we interact with neighbors and at work. We must be, we are called to be a people of love. I think this is abundantly clear from this. But I want to ask, why? Why is this the more excellent way? And, and I, I want to ask that because I think that as we think about it, it will motivate love itself. So I'm asking, why is love the most excellent way? Why are we to live lives of love? Well, not because people like love and like to be loved. Though that's true. We need to think very carefully about this because a number of, a number of times I've heard, and, and you've probably heard, Christians talk about how we are to be a people of love, how we are to be a church of love, because that's what people are missing, that's what people need in the world. It resonates with people. They're craving love. That's wrongheaded. It, it's true. It is a universal human desire. It's very true. It's just not the point. Love is not the more excellent way because people want to be loved. Nor, and this is related to that a little bit, nor is love the most excellent way because it is effective in accomplishing some goal that we have. Think about this. You've probably heard this too. That we, we should love people because when we love them, they will know that we care about them and will be more open to us and will respond to us, maybe come near to us and listen to what we have or what we want. We want to communicate to them. They'll realize that we aren't all bad. There's something good in us and, and they'll, they'll, they'll come. They'll, we should love people because then they'll stay in the church. We should love people because then we'll be able to talk to them about the gospel. That all may be true. It's just not the point. And, and in fact, it is in a lot of cases, it is true. We should think about that. 1 Corinthians 8, in fact, says that love builds up. It says that love is effective for building people up. And we can, I mean, let me put this as positively as I possibly can. We could put it negatively. It could be just a form of manipulation, right? Which would be pseudo-love. I've really got my own agenda, and I'm trying to act like I love you to get you to do what I want you to do. That would be using it as manipulation. But let's not, let's not go there. Let's just put this as positively as we possibly can. 1 Corinthians 8 says love builds up the church. What a noble goal. To build the church. To communicate care to people. To, to gain a hearing for the gospel that they might know the real, deepest, widest love in all of the universe. And so we love them so that they will listen. Love them so that they'll know there's truth in this. That's all good and right and we should keep that in mind. It's just not the point. And we might realize, we might have guessed that there's something else we should be thinking about if we asked for a second, why is it? Why is it that everybody responds to love? Why is it that we all like love, we all want to love, we all, we all want to be loved, we all readily respond to people who love us, we all are, are attuned to and affected by love. Why is that? Why? 
because, think about this. We, we live in an atmosphere that is dictated, influenced by something outside of this atmosphere. We are this way because of something from somewhere else, namely from God Himself. Love is central to the character of God Himself. Love comes to us. A desire for love comes to us from God Himself. And when He created us in His image, He put that in us. It all got twisted. It's all been twisted. But that's where it all starts. With the one who, as the Bible says, is love. God is love. In His very nature... Love is a virtue because it is in God. Love did not exist somewhere out there and God observed it and realized that was a desirable thing and said, I'll be that way. He is this way. By nature. He is love. And what emanates out of Him is love. When He created, He created in love and has put in each creature, each one of us, a desire for and a response to and an ability to love. It's messed up. We've fallen. It's all twisted. We search for love in all the wrong places, in all the wrong ways. Yes, however, God is love. And we are to walk that that road of love because we are to communicate, we are to to connect with God on that road and then communicate that love from Him to others. It's where He lives, if you will. So long before people even come into this, long before people desire, we, we don't look and say, what do people want? That's what we'll be. We say, what is God? That's what I am to be. That's what I was made for. That's why it resonates in you. There is something beautiful here. Brothers and sisters, the God who is, is that thing in you that longs to be filled. That spot for, I want love. I want to be, I want to be connected. I want to be... Ah, he is that. And from the very beginning... He has acted that way with us. He loved us by creating us. He loved us by sustaining us. All of us, Christians and non-Christians alike. He sustains the world day in and day out in love. Giving us what we need. Loving even those who are in rebellion against Him. It's remarkable. Remarkable. But you know, friends... The greatest way that He loved us is how He loved us in the cross. Sit and daydream about it. Behold the love of God. Do not let it run by you, assumed and forgotten. 
Behold the love of God in the cross for you. God the Father in love sent God the Son to take on a body just for one reason. To become what we need. To take on a body to live fulfilling the law of God and taking the curse of God. What we need. We need someone to give us righteousness because we cannot earn it. We cannot become, friends, we cannot become right in God's eyes. All that is due to us from God, all that comes to us is His wrath against our sin. And we cannot fix that at all. But in love, God the Father sent the Son to take on a body to do that for you. And Jesus then in love calls out far and wide to all who will listen. Everyone who will listen. He shouts this out. Here in me is awesome love. Awesome love. Like you have never known but have always wanted. Here in me, mercifully, you will find a substitute that will take on your sin burden and give to you forgiveness and grace. Here in me, you find satisfaction of the wrath of God. So come to me and find in me a wide and long and high and deep love that you've never known. This is love. And to those who have never known it, there are some sitting here, I I am certain, some have sat here for years, and you searched for it your whole life, and you've never found it quite. It's always been just around the corner, just in this circumstance change, in that person's love to me, in this over here getting better and improving, and you've never quite found it. Here it is. A vast love. Understand this paradox. God is angry with you in your sin. And in loving mercy, He has provided a refuge for you from His anger. Paradox again. God the Father killed God the Son in love. You use kill and love in the same sentence. How can a father kill a son in love? This father kills a son in love. God the Father, in love of His own glory and in love of His people, killed His Son. God the Son, in love of His Father's glory and in love of His bride, laid down His life, said, This is my body for you in love. Come. Have you ever come This whole book, not just this chapter, this whole book is a cry of love to you. And you remain in God's anger only after wading through hip-deep, neck-deep love. Don't remain there in God's anger. Stop waiting and drink it in. This is love. And Christian, you know it. It's been poured out on you. 
is a marvelous thing for you. You have been made an object of this love. And as the Bible says, right after the verse that says God is love, 1 John 4, a couple verses later, he says to Christians, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to walk this path of love with this love front and center. God loved me. I see it. It resonates in me. It grips me. It changes me. I will love one another. And by that love, they'll know that I'm a disciple of His. As the fruit of the Spirit, love is born in my life and I've changed. He calls us to walk the path of love. And men and women, it's the path you want to walk. It's the path that resonates with your heart. And it is not gloriously, it is not dependent on what happens today or tomorrow in your life. It is all about what Jesus has done at the cross for you and what He promises to do for you. For you. For you. It is not dependent on what others do to you. There is an offer here. From a God who is love. An offer and a call to walk this road of love. Experiencing it and giving it away. Oh, so unfortunately, we rarely discipline our minds to think about this. We so often, brothers and sisters, I ask you to stop and think, is this true of you? It's true of so many that I know. We so often feel loved or feel unloved based on what is happening right here. These circumstances dictate, am I being loved or not? That is a sad course of life. To give away, to forfeit the strong, sure evidence of a God of love and to surrender it to the circumstances of a sinful world. So I'm really asking you for your own good, will you Please, set your mind on a God who has loved you in the cross. And when you find your mind drifting off, grab it and bring it back. Take that thought captive and bring it back to Christ and say, You have loved me in the cross. You have made me your own. I stand in grace with you. My future is secure. I have nothing to fear. I am secure. Hallelujah. I can then lay down my life loving everyone else. For your own good, grab that. Keep it in your mind. Walk that path. It's important. 
And there are tragic realities to be faced if we don't. Which comes to the second point. If we do not live the life of love, we oppose God and end up nothing. If we don't, we oppose God and end up nothing. That's the burden of these three if-then statements in verses 1 to 3. Fabulous gifts. Tremendous capabilities and opportunities and strengths. Have it all. You have it all. We, we are a people who have a lot. And have not love, a disaster occurs. You yourself, notice it is personalized. I am. I am. I gain. Not the things I tried to do are nothing. Not the things I tried to do prove fruitless or ineffective. I myself am nothing. I even, strongly, I even come into a settled state of nuisance and annoyance. You that are to be a part of the body, that are supposed to be a a piece, a limb of the body needed and useful, it would be better off if you were amputated for the health of the body. Everybody wants you to go. It's not just a, a, a dead limb. It's a deadening limb that has an effect spreading, an infection perhaps spreading into the rest of the body. Cut it off for life's sake. But you're tremendously gifted. Loves the whole thing. But why? Why is love so critical? I mean, some of these gifts, if you were to think about some of the gifts that are possible, some of the strengths, the resources that are possible, I think we would be tempted to say, he's not very nice, but he sure brings a lot to the table. So we'll deal with it. She is incredibly critical, but at least she writes a check every week. So we'll deal with it. We'd be tempted, I think, to look at some of these gifts and say, those are some remarkable things. Why is love so critical, such that it it, it results in just nothing without it? Why? Well, because of what the gifts really are. Remember where where we saw these first back in in verse 7? The gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. The gifts are empowered by the Spirit. saw that twice in chapter 12. The gifts, what they really are, is a delivery platform for God. Think about it like a gift brings in it or on it the thing we actually need, God. We need Him to deliver Himself to us through the gifts, to manifest Himself to us through the assorted gifts that we all have. We don't need us doing things. We need us doing things that bring God into our midst. That deliver to us the one that our hearts need. God in all of His godness. 
That's the gifts are really about. So, if I, with a gift, am not going to walk in the love of the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the love of my neighbor as myself, I'm, I'm walking away from him and with my gift intending to deliver him? That doesn't happen. I have departed from him and left off the thing we all need. And, and like a fabulous, remarkable rifle without any ammunition, I'm powerless. I'm just an awkward club. If you think about it, it's an awkward club. I, I'm just an awkward intrusion into your life. If I haven't actually brought him with me, but I can't bring him with me because I've rejected him and set up in his place whom? If I'm not walking a life of love, the Lord and love of neighbor, who am I loving? Me. And I have set myself up in the center, which is where this gets serious. Because what that is, is it's opposing God. I have turned what he has given me to deliver him. I have turned it into a way I will deliver myself. Thank you. I will exalt myself in the midst of this people. Now, I need to say this uh, carefully so that it is neither too strong nor too weak. So, Listen with me as if I'm intending to communicate it neither too strongly nor too weakly. And if I err, cut me some slack, please. I don't want to be too strong and say that God looks at us as a body and has His hand raised high to strike us because we have assumed His place and have kicked Him out of our fellowship and, and are, are really set on the idolatry of self. I don't want to be too strong that way. Nor do I want to say, oh, this is just normal life, no big deal, we're all like this. So I'm shooting for somewhere in the middle that says, I think we have a consistent problem with subtle selfness. I'm putting it that way because I don't want to say we don't love because what will happen is instantly people will think of people that they love. And you'll reject what I'm saying. I, I, I live among us. I know. I, I, mean, I, I live among us. And I know that people, we, we, there is love between people here. Unfortunately, it is not the love in its fullness that God the Father wants us to have. A love that branches out beyond the people that we find lovely. That's how the world loves, friends. But a love that branches out to love people who are hard to love, who are unlovely. Who maybe are not right in front of us, clear and obvious and, and in great need in an easy way to see and an easy way to respond to. In those situations... We consistently drop the ball. 
It's a very subtle selfness. But it shows up in prayer or prayerlessness. How much do we pray? A great good that we can do to each other and for others. How much do we pray? And when we pray, what do we pray for? As I walk among us, I think we are weak in lifting one another up in prayer and in prayer for things that we most desperately need, conformity to Christ. How much do we burn with concern for lost people? How much concern do we have for the nation's out there, out of sight. It would be hard to argue that we are strongly, deeply, passionately concerned for lost people even here, let alone way out there. That's out of step with Christianity. And it's out of step even with other churches that you know. There are other churches that live deeply concerned about lost people, deeply concerned about lost people on foreign continents they've never met. It would be hard to argue we're there. It shows up, our subtle selfness shows up, how much concern do we have even for sick and hurting and lonely and maybe awkward and maybe distanced people within our very own congregation. Again, some, very much so. Some deeply connected. Others, I mean, I I talk to people, I think it's because I'm the pastor. Everybody talks to me about how so-and-so has had nobody visit him, how so-and-so has had nobody visit her, how so-and-so has nothing, 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 as if I can do all of that. But the thing that grieves me is that nobody else is either, and there are hundreds of us. It's a subtle selfness. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, think about this. So not, not with you know, God's hand raised up ready to strike us, but I, but I want to communicate this, that when we live like that, we are living as if the world revolves right here That's a replacing of God. That's a removing of God from the center and a replacing of me in the center. That is sin. And the response to that then is to say, Lord, is that me? And to repent if and where it is. So brothers and sisters, I plead with you, ask honestly before God, Lord, I want to walk this path of love however you mean for me to walk it. And and I, I deliberately have not defined love today. That's coming up in the following weeks. I think we know enough of what that is for this morning's sake. I want to walk like that. And if I'm honest, I get up, I walk through my day, and I go to sleep, having given most of my waking hours thought life to me. 
and those immediately around me. I'm sorry, that is not what you want from me, is it? Will you change me? Will you, will you change my perspective? Will you so flood me with the reality of your love for me that I cannot contain it, but must love as you have first loved me? Will you change me? Will you wash me with your nature, which is love itself? Will you fill me with your nature, which is love itself? I want to be different. God, have your way with me. And then what should I do with that? How? You can't love every single person here any more than I can love every single person here. I mean it's actively love. We try to do things like break it down into, into gospel communities to kind of give some, some smaller subset of that. The, you can't do everything for everybody. So ask him, Lord, what, what should I do? Who lives on my street? Who lives near me? What's my neighbor's life situation? Do I know him? Do I know her? What should I do? How can I love like you do? Ask him honestly and openly, and he'll tell you something, I'm confident. But it begins with repentance. A repentance of this selfness that that colors us as a people. Repent and believe that He who is love for you will not leave you when you step out to lay down your life. He will not leave you and abandon you to loss. But remarkably, when you lay down your life, you will find it you will find yourself connecting to this one who loves the one that you finally reached out to, who loves that one desperately. And when you walk towards that person, you find him already there, eager to join with you and display something more of himself. Remember God's love for you, Christian. He has acted decisively. The omnipotent one has bent his power to pour out love on you. And he calls you because of that love. Walk with me this most excellent path. Use everything that I have given you in love of me and love of others. That's why I have blessed you. That you may be a blessing in love to others here, even to the nations out there. Give up your small life. Give up your small life. Live out there with Him. You will find an awesome God of love who will be everything that you think you are protecting. He'll be more. He calls us to live a life of love and to not oppose Him, but to join Him in loving the world. We're going to keep working on this in the following weeks, but may He stir in you a desire for it this week. Let me pray. God, we need Your help because there is something in us that is that is so slow to start. A 
concern for others, other Christians even, let alone non-Christians. It is so slow to start in us. Spirit of God, please stir it in us. Produce the fruit of love in my brothers and sisters here. Your gracious posture towards us, Lord, is incredibly hopeful. It means that you are committed to working in us still. You have not abandoned us. You will not abandon us. You're for us and towards us. And I I pray, Lord, would you now take us and make us more. Make us more like you. Father, I think it is also possible that there are some here who have a really hard time believing that you love them. Pray, God, stamp on them the reality of what you have done at the cross. And graciously open their eyes to let that loom much, much larger than the sorrows and difficulties that that burden them in life. For the man here, for the woman here who is in that case, Spirit of God, would you draw near and point out to them Jesus Loving them to the end. Washing their feet and then washing their souls. Make that real. Lift up their hearts and souls. And stir all of us. Father, stir all of us to be a people who walk in love. That You would be honored that we would be blessed. I I pray this. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.